Hello, 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 everyone. It's Dr. Tamar Beckford. That's right, with the Dr. Tamar Beckford Show. Now, I'm super excited today because we're going to be talking about anxiety, insomnia, mom guilt. Now, all of us who are out there, we've had a little bit of those three, right? If you're a dad, you might have some dad guilt. Uh, you know, but we don't label the dad guilt as much as we label the mom guilt. But before I do that, I have to just totally welcome you guys to this awesome show. That's right. That's the Dr. Tamara Beckford Show, where I get the honor and privilege of highlighting my colleagues, some of my friends who are doing amazing things inside and outside of clinical medicine, right? Now, you know, it's all about self-care too for me. So we get to delve into some of the things that they're doing for their self-care. Now, before we go any further, I have a couple asks for you. I know you are going to enjoy today's show. So I want you to go to the website. That's your caring docs. That's www.urcaringdocs.com. Click podcast and you're going to see my guest's lovely picture. Just click on listen here and you'll be able to get this beautiful audio available. Yes, on all your devices. If you do use an Apple device, please leave, leave us a comment. We love those five stars, right? Leave us a comment and let us know what you think. And don't forget to share it with somebody who you know will totally enjoy this great conversation, right? Alrighty, so we're about to get started. My lovely sister doc here, my lovely sister doc, she is a graduate of Columbia University in New York. So all my New Yorkers, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> and she did her residency in UCLA. So she went from the East Coast, then she went to the West Coast to UCLA and did her residency in psychiatry. Then guess what? She's back on the East Coast in the Philadelphia area. So all my Philly people, hello, hello, hello. Broad Street, all my people in Penn, because she is there at University of Pennsylvania. She is a clinical faculty there, and she also has her private practice where she helps to take care of our patients there in the Philly area, right? Now, she has some distinguishing qualities. Like, where this is not any ordinary doc, right? So this doc is a regular contributor to psychology today with her blog, Think like a shrink. That's right. And she is the reflective doc. That's the name that she has on her podcast and her blog. And she uses this to help to give us information about diagnosis and treatments of mental illnesses, right? Her work has been featured on Kevin MD and the doximity. So let me tell you, like I said, this is not any ordinary person. We're talking about the one, the only Dr. Jennifer Reed. Welcome, 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 Doc. How are you? I'm doing so well. Wow, that was a really, a really wonderful bio. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's such a pleasure to be here. Oh, I am excited, excited to have you here. And I know that those who are listening, I'm not, I know that they're in for a wonderful treat. But before we dig into the meat, we like to dig into the past and find out all about our wonderful guests. So, Dr. Reed, before you were Dr. Jennifer Reed, right? We were just talking about Jennifer. We're talking about Jen. So let's take you back to that time when you decided, you know what? I want to go into medicine. So mm -hmm. let me know what was going through your head and how old were you during that time? 
My goodness. Taking me way back. <laughs> so um, my my father and my maternal grandfather were both family medicine physicians. And I grew up in a small town in rural North Dakota. And so really my my worldview was that, you know, if you really wanted to help people and you really wanted to go and learn, being a physician was one of the most gratifying things that you could do. My dad was just so honored to have that role and really spoke mm -hmm. about it that way, that it was an honor that patients would come to see him and let him care for them. And taking that from him, I really love the opportunity to work with patients. And so mm -hmm. it was sort of always, I was just in this medical ecosystem, I think, Great. growing up. And over time, there were different things I was interested in, and like women's health in particular. I've always been a very strong believer in, you know, feminism and women having equal rights. Obviously, that's even more important today than ever. Mm -hmm. So I think over time, it just became really solidified that the best way for me to really help the most people was to go into medicine. I actually first matched into an internal medicine thinking maybe I do women's health or endocrinology. And I just really wanted to understand patients' reactions to mm -hmm. their, their life, to their diagnoses. And I think it does go back to when I was this little girl in rural North Dakota, where there wasn't much option for psychotherapy, for mm. support. And so periods of time when I was even in high school, where I had some anxiety, some depression, certainly some challenges with body image, I didn't have an outlet. I didn't have a place to learn more, to mm -hmm. read more, certainly didn't have podcasts, you know, dating myself here. But <laughs> That was another piece of psychiatry is like, how can I reach that young woman that I was and help her grow into a confident adult who really can go out and flourish? So that sort of led me into psychiatry, switched over to a psychiatric residency with some amazing colleagues and sort of haven't looked back since then. Oh, <laughs> I love it. So, you know, at the time, you're a young little girl there in rural North Dakota, and you're seeing your dad, and your dad is talking about this wonderful profession that he's in. And you're saying, I want to help, I want to be able to help and care. And so you, like your mindset was said, like, wow, in order to help and care, this is a great way to do so. Going into medicine really will help to get through to people and to be able to help them the way that I see my dad helping, you know, mm -hmm. to just, so it's kind of like a reflective nature, like, wow, this is a great way for me to do this. Yes. And then <laughs> you're like, I'm going to be in medicine. <laughs> so now, as you said that in medical school though, you know, we, you had the decision and you decided like you wanted to do because of your strong belief in, in equal rights for, um, especially for women you wanted to be able to go out and be able to do work, work in, you know, maybe like you said, internal medicine, helping women. But then you started thinking more of like, you go back to the reflective nature, right? When you're like, well, how can I help from a deeper standpoint, which is the mind? Because we know the mind, it's really, as much as we think our body controls, we know the mind is the ultimate controller, right? Yeah. So you go back now and go deeper into the mind. So at what point did you decide to switch over? Because I know you said that you initially matched in internal medicine, and then, you know, you decide to switch over to psychiatry. And like, what phase did that um, switch occur? Yeah, so I remember even my first week of intern year in internal medicine, and I was on a very high acuity oncology unit where they were doing stem cell transplants, and people mm -hmm. were, you know, have platelets that were almost nil. Oh. It was just so stressful. 
But we didn't have time to really sit down with the patients and find out, like, how are you coping with this? Yeah, right. Like, how are you coping with this huge change in your life? Mm-hmm. Even those who fortunately went into remission and left, how did they respond to this sense of what if this could come back? Or mm-hmm. how do I live in remission, but with mm-hmm. that risk of mm-hmm. recurrence? So I think it was in even just the first few weeks and I had a rotation with one of the psychiatry residents and I remember pulling her aside in the stairwell and saying like, tell me about the program and what do you think? <laughs> and you know, what is your medic, what is your director like? And mm-hmm. so just went one day and kind of knocked on his door and said, you know, I am interested in maybe switching over. And he was very welcoming. He challenged me a bit. He said, are you sure you don't have some personality disorder that you're switching? <laughs> <laughs> are you it. okay? Are you, <laughs> you know, bless his heart. Um, but then I was able to secure the next the spot in the class, but I finished out my intern year because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, the call would have gotten all messed up for my co-interns in medicine. It really wasn't fair to depart and right. leave them hanging. So I did the full intern year mm-hmm. and then, which was wonderful. I mean, it was a tertiary care center. So I learned how to manage you know, transplants and things like that, which I don't handle so much anymore. Right. Some of the general outpatient medicine, I didn't learn as much. So I've had other opportunities to do that later. But I just, you know, from the minute I switched over, my co-residents were so welcoming. They're such a quirky bunch. I mean, I feel like psychiatrists are just really creative people. Yeah. Many of them are writers or performers in some way, artists. And mm-hmm. so it just felt, it felt like home to me from the start. I love it. Oh, this is so heartwarming. I love that your director was like, wait a minute. Let me check you out. <laughs> you want to switch over? Is everything okay there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. I was like, I was not expecting that. I'd been around internal medicine people who we didn't talk about some of those things directly. So right. it was a shift. I love it. So now you got the chance to really go in and to delve deeper into the mind, the feelings, the emotions mm-hmm. that goes along with um, the now, you know, profession of psychiatry versus the internal medicine portion where, you know, and this is not to to knock our internal medicine doctors, because we know we're doing great jobs there. And, uh, you know, it's the time portion that doesn't exist Mm -hmm. for internal medicine to really be able to sit and to delve deeper into, like you said, how are you feeling? How is this impacting your life? Mm-hmm. You know, you can get to the surface, but you can't really get as deep into it in those 15 minute blocks mm-hmm. that set aside for care. So mm-hmm. now, you know, you're in um, psychiatry and you're having a blast. I can see it <laughs> on your face. You're like, yes, I found my people. Yeah. <laughs> so now you're being able to express yourself and you're also being able to get from others. Um, What are some of the things that you've noticed? Because one of our topics today is anxiety. So, you know, what are some of the things that you've noticed that anxiety stems from? What are some of the root causes that you've seen and in your profession that causes anxiety? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Well, there are so, so many. And certainly what's been happening with the pandemic and with some of the political polarization and certainly mm-hmm. some of the Supreme Court decisions and things very recently mm-hmm. have created so much anxiety as people have oh, yeah. fear about what's coming next, what's in the future, That's right? True. And I always point out that a great red flag for an anxious thought is it starts with what if. 
Right. Oh. So what if something's going to happen? And we rarely say, what if something wonderful happens, right? Like, what if I win the lottery today? What if someone, you know, I meet is just absolutely amazing and a new member of my life. So mm-hmm. recognizing those kinds of what if thoughts, you know, humans, we have a unique ability more so than any, any other mammal to really look into the future, to yeah. plan, to organize, to anticipate. Mm-hmm. The trouble is that can really go, we can go so overboard with that. Mm-hmm. And anything that's in the future really is somewhat of a guess. You know, it's like <laughs> predicting the weather. We can do an educated guess, but is it always right? I think it was supposed to be sunny today, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that we start to make these guesses. The trouble is, as I've written about, and we talked about ahead of time, anxiety mm-hmm. can kind of be like a really frightening soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And that it adds this layer over top of everything of, of dread, of worry, of fear, And then therefore, if you're looking into the future and you have this layer on top of you, everything seems really more, you know, dangerous, more worrisome, more frightening. And so as we're imagining these things, yes, our brain can look forward, but it can't truly differentiate Mm -hmm. between this terrible thing happening in the future that I'm imagining and it actually happening to me right now. Yes. So we just feel like barraged by all these terrible outcomes that we've been imagining. They haven't happened, but I we really can't differentiate that well. We really feel like they've happened, right? So anxiety mm-hmm. is exhausting. Yes. Because you're living through these traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. So it interferes with sleep. It's interfering with even just our appetite. You're so clenched and tight. It mm-hmm. just makes everything new feel really rife with danger and, and lack of safety. And mm-hmm. so we start to constrict. Yeah. We start to shrink our lives. We start to shrink our interactions. So that takes some of the joy and pleasure away. That makes mm-hmm. us less likely to try new things. We can get stuck in that rut and that avoidance feeds more anxiety. It helps in the short term. It's like junk food. Feeds you for a little bit. Hey. Guess what? You feel worse. <laughs> you feel worse soon after, right? Junk food thoughts are the same. And that's where anxiety can really get us into trouble because mm-hmm. We avoid for now, but then guess what? It's going to come back and come back in full force down the road. You know, that's a great um, analogy. And I love the way that you're describing that. You know, recently, so I'm an ER doc. And recently I had a patient who she is starting to have anxiety. And her doc, um, her primary care doc, you know, wrote her for some meds and said, hey, take these as needed for the, but if you have completed these medications, in the shorter step, you know, I want to see you back in like, I think maybe like two to maybe like two months or so. But if you finish these meds way before then, I need to see you back sooner, mm. which she's like, I'm almost completed the medication. So, no, you know, initially, like you said, when you're shrinking, you thought like, okay, well, this will happen just once in a while. And that's why, you know, her doc gave her that med. Say, hey, if it happens once in a while, you take that. But she's not having this every single night Mm. so and that's when you said that the thought becomes like the the constant soundtrack and which i think is a great way to describe it right so one of the things that we talked about off um camera is how the soundtrack of even a scary movie like jaws you know without that (laughs) it's just this these waters that we're just staring at these calm waters and then maybe a shark jumps up be like oh the shark jumped up but the emotion that comes up with that and you know why powerful like that powerful soundtrack that evokes this emotion like something's about to happen 
I can feel it. Listen to the tempo of the music. It's mm-hmm. not going on now. I cannot imagine someone having that soundtrack just repeatedly on just constant recycling or just repeating yeah. in their mind. I'm going outside. Well, what if? You know that da 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 da. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you said that you know you did, you could find yourself shrinking, and that's what prop- that happened to my patient. She's just like every night she's waking up in a panic and and mm-hmm. the night after it's getting worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if she's done that, so I said to her, I cannot imagine you're probably not even sleeping, which we'll talk about later <laughs> into this discussion. Because yeah. if she's feeling this, then why would somebody even want to go to sleep if they're feeling like mm-hmm. I might not wake up, I might not this, I might not that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I can see how anxiety can overtake someone's life. Yeah. So we, we've talked about the pandemic. What are some of the things that you've seen in some of your patients with the anxiety with the pandemic? So we've had the, I have to stay in the house. And then now we've had the, hey, now I can leave. <laughs> so please let us know. Well, right. I mean, and there's so many different areas from, you know, families who are struggling more with food insecurity or housing insecurity or mm-hmm. loss of jobs, of loss of income. I mean, these huge changes obviously are going to understandably make us worried mm-hmm. for the future. Absolutely. But I think also the, the broader context of there's something we can't really see. And those outside of medicine may not truly understand like, what is actually this viral illness? What does it actually mean? How is it spread? There mm-hmm. was, I think, at the start, a lot of confusion and uncertainty. It still is some about how yeah. to prevent it or what to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think everybody had to constrict, had to pull in, and that became a safe place. Yes. We communicated to our brain, this is safe. This is good. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? What I'm really seeing a lot in you know my own kids and in patients and in myself at times is coming back out now, mm-hmm. the brain is still saying, wait, wait, wait. Wait, where, where are we supposed to stay in? <laughs> yeah, like time out. This doesn't feel right. This feels unsafe, right? Mm-hmm. And so not that that means you, some people will pull right back in again. And I think sure that can happen and it's okay for a short time. But knowing that the more you start to try and stretch back out again in ways that are tolerable and maybe increasingly broad, right? So that you kind of ease back into it mm-hmm. and be gentle and compassionate with yourself or with your mm-hmm. loved one. This is hard. It mm-hmm. feels scary, even though consciously, you know, I can go out now in this situation and stand next to someone or shake a hand if you want. Mm-hmm. Like it still feels really unsafe. And it's going to take some time for that brain to relearn and rewire to mm-hmm. kind of say what is safe again. And some of it, frankly, I mean, speaking of shaking hands, maybe some things will never be what they were prior to the pandemic. We just will never feel I still am wearing a mask on airplanes. I just mm-hmm. feel like, well, COVID or anything else that's in around in there. Mm-hmm. So I think people are having some difficulty, some anxiety, including a lot of kids in coming back out into these environments, busy classrooms, grocery stores, concerts, things like that. Yeah. And it's understandable. It makes absolute sense from a brain standpoint and mm-hmm. you know, be compassionate with yourself and your loved ones that it's going to be a slow process. Mm-hmm. Trying to really force it can just feel absolutely overwhelming. I can imagine. We've had some comments here. So we have, um, Giselle Rosa, who says, you can think your way into anxiety. And most importantly, you can learn to think your way out. Mindfulness is key. So we'll talk about that soon. And then also we have um, Rafi 
Wagner, who says widening my capacity slowly, which is probably talking towards taking her time to get out there. So now let's talk about like thinking your way into anxiety and thinking your way out. I know mindfulness is something that is very powerful and it's something that I try to embrace and I'm realizing that I'm actually getting pretty good at this. I'm patting <laughs> myself on the back. <laughs> I guess because I I see the difference in tomorrow today versus the difference in tomorrow 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Who was a worry ward? Mm-hmm. <laughs> worried, worried, worried about things. And now I'm really embracing and enjoying so much more of my life, doing a lot more at the same time. But we know that mindfulness is one um, technique to try to help. Have you found in your page that um, you involve and you teach these um, techniques is significant change in their anxiety level or is it that some can use that but might medication or some can just use mindfulness themselves and be able to be able to control their level of anxiety right so i think of anything that i have is is in my tool belt and that I can offer mm-hmm. up these different tools for my patients. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure I know any good tool that's out there and also ones that people might be trying that I think, you know, maybe that's not the best or safest choice, right? Drinking mm-hmm. alcohol to help you fall asleep. Like we can talk Absolutely. about that later, for example. Yeah. But I think mindfulness is an incredibly useful tool because guess what? The way we were talking about worry being this anticipation of some future outcome. Mm-hmm. And then you think about things like regret or ruminations on past things that happen or mistakes we believe we made or, you know, regrets we have. Mindfulness is literally just non-judgmental attention to the present moment. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't simultaneously, at least not that I know of yet, our <laughs> brains really can't multitask that well, simultaneously be in the present moment and be worrying about the future or be ruminating or regretful about the past. So I think mm-hmm. it can be almost a powerful break for our minds yeah. Not to mention, we just notice what's around us. I remember when I was, I try to read mindfulness texts because that helps me to check back in. I'm not, I mean, I am always trying to be mindful and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Whether oh, yeah. I teach it, I recommend it, I recognize that it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. So I try and connect with my senses. So I'll say, okay, what am I hearing right now? And I remember mm-hmm. distinctly walking home after I dropped my son off at school. And I was like, where did all these birds come from? What a beautiful, where are all these songs? Like I had literally not noticed uh-huh. on the walk there. And so the idea of mindfulness, it doesn't have to be anything perfect. It doesn't have to be sitting on a beautiful cushion and room with candles and other, you know, like <laughs> yes. it can just be, you know, it doesn't have to be a formal meditation practice, though those can be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. It can just be, how do I check into the present moment? Yes. And the more, you know, we always like data, right? We always wanted the, the trials. And the more <laughs> we see the studies on mindfulness and the studies on meditation as it, you know, pertains to anxiety, to insomnia, even sexual desire. I mean, some of these things can really benefit from mm-hmm. being in that present moment. So I absolutely agree with that comment. I think it's a really important tool. But yet there are patients who they use that tool but might need medication for a different tool. Absolutely. And to point out like your, your patient who was on a med that maybe helped in the short term meds mm-hmm. like benzodiazepines that can help in the short term mm-hmm. the analogy I use is if someone had like a, a bad knee injury, mm-hmm. they might take a pain medicine to decrease the pain, mm-hmm. just like those meds your patient was on can decrease the anxiety, but neither of them are getting at the underlying injury. 
very right. well. Mm-hmm. So you need different treatments. Maybe they need a knee replacement, but in our case, maybe they need something like an SSRI or a daily medication that Absolutely. actually gets at and treats that because we don't want to just give them something that brings it down and it bounces right back. And they're on that forever and ever. And they start to need more because that's just how the body works. Nothing judgmental about them, but the body starts to get used to it and it doesn't work as well. So that's where, you know, being clear on who might benefit from Mm -hmm. these medications that can be safely used. We know in pregnancy now in the Mm -hmm. postpartum, certainly in menopause, I mean, thinking about women's health, Mm -hmm. but men and women both can do really well. And that can be a powerful tool, especially when someone's really suffering. Absolutely. And I love, as you mentioned about, you know, my patient who I saw in the emergency room this week, who, you know, just to recap for those who are just coming in on this part, that patient, you know, has anxiety. She just got, she's basically just getting diagnosed right now, starting with it was given some meds and it was a benzodiazepine to help to suppress the intermittent, if you need it, you know, just take it. But then she's re- recognizing she's needing it almost every day. So at that point, that's exactly what, you know, I told her, your doctor needs to know <laughs> that you're requiring this every day. So you need to call her tomorrow and let her know, hey, mm-hmm. I'm requiring this every day. And as you mentioned, the next step, I told her you have to get to the underlying cause, mm-hmm. because these are just, as you mentioned, band-aids. These are just to help to suppress for the meantime. And as your doctor said, only if you need it once in a while, you know, but you're needing it every day. So we need to now get into the root cause of what's going on. Wonderful, wonderful. Alrighty. So now we've talked about, you know, anxiety, which we know can happen because our mind is set on the what if. So we said that is a, you know, you're entering into the anxiety zone. (laughs) Think about it. If you start, the mind starts with a question. I wonder what would happen if, oh my gosh, I can't go out because what if, think about anything like those statements, the Mm -hmm. what if, blah, 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 fill in the blank, you're entering into anxiety zone. So some ways that you can really do that, we say you can tap into mindfulness, which Mm -hmm. is one way to try to be present because your mind, as beautiful as your brain is, cannot do two things at the same time, which is be mindful of what's going on right now and appreciating the present Mm -hmm. and worrying about the future. So that's a wonderful way to do it. However, if that alone isn't working and you do need additional tools, you know, it's important to recognize and to do get that from your doctor. So Mm -hmm. now one of the things that anxiety can bring up, as I mentioned in my patient, because I work nights, So this patient Mm -hmm. is coming to me at 2.30 in the morning. So she is up because she's waking up out of her sleep. And so if she's feeling this anxious every single night, guess what's happening? She's not sleeping. And we've now entered into the insomnia zone. So -hmm. let's talk about insomnia. That is something that affects so many people, you know, and there's so many causes of that. So Dr. Reed, like, take us into the mind of the insomnia zone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, I mean, this is something, sleep is such an amazing function, right? I mean, it has to be that we're giving seven or eight hours of unconsciousness to our lives, right? Think about how many hours of our life we're asleep. Mm -hmm. So one thing I like to differentiate is insomnia versus sleep deprivation. Because they're two different things. And I think there's a lot of information about the health risks of sleep deprivation, which Mm -hmm. typically defined as six hours or fewer 
you know, fewer than six hours on multiple nights. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of different health outcomes that we know can be worse with sleep deprivation, like, you know, changes in our metabolism. So it's harder to lose weight or harder to Mm -hmm. maintain weight, changes in our immune system, changes Mm -hmm. in our cardiovascular health, changes in our, you know, memory and cognition over time that maybe there's an increased risk of some long-term, you know, risk of dementia, like Alzheimer's dementia. Mm-hmm. But insomnia is actually different than, than sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. Insomnia is really defined as poor quality sleep. So you're not sleeping when you want to. You're not sleeping the way that you want to. Maybe mm-hmm. your overall hours might be more than six, but you're in bed for 11 and you're mm-hmm. only getting six and a half, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of that time is just lying in bed, feeling frustrated, feeling anxious, feeling hopeless. Mm-hmm. A lot of what if thoughts. What if I don't get to sleep in the next hour? That means I only get Oh, yeah, the counting, the countdown. (laughs) Yes, the mental math. Okay, now I have 12 more. Okay, now I have nine more. Okay, now I have six more. (laughs) Yep, yep, that countdown. So if if sleep is such a powerful drive, the only ways that we can truly disrupt it, I mean, you literally cannot stop yourself from sleeping. When they do trials of sleep deprivation, it's almost impossible to keep patients up five days a week. I mean, like it's, it's just almost impossible. We can actually mm-hmm. prevent ourselves from eating more readily and to negative, obviously terrible consequences, but more readily than we can prevent sleep. Wow. So it's a really powerful drive. The way that we can interfere with it is something that's too stimulating. Mm-hmm. Anxiety certainly is fear. Yeah. If someone's had a traumatic experience at night and it's a very fearful feeling, that's very stimulating. Mm-hmm. Caffeine, obviously mm-hmm. <laughs> other bright lights. I mean, our little handheld brains that we carry around with us. Right? Yes. <laughs> that's one way to disrupt it, but also training the brain to sleep on really unusual schedules. So mm. if you're working nights yes, and then you're yes. trying to switch back to days and those like kinds today. of things, right? <laughs> that circadian rhythm that tells you this is wake time, this is bedtime mm-hmm. can get really disrupted and it can mismatch with our sleep drive, which just builds up the longer we're awake, right? Yes. So when we have some of those mismatches, whether it's jet lag or shift work or something really important, something we call social jet lag, where you get up at seven all week and then on the weekends you sleep until nine or 10. Ah, it's a, that's a three hour time change. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, when you have a three hour jet lag time, you feel really awful. And so people that are shifting their wake time from weekend to weekday, that can really interfere with their sleep. You know, I have never thought about it. I love the way that you, it's the social jet lag, because we always think like, oh, I cannot wait until the weekend so that I can get that extra blank amount of sleep, not mm-hmm. recognizing this actually detrimental to our our sleep and our sleep pattern and the way that the body is responding to it's like the body I guess is like our my my kindergarten or my pre-k kid I love that routine (laughs) so now you just snatched it away from it wow Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and that doesn't mean that that some people don't like to do that catch-up sleep and it works for them Mm -hmm. but if you're having insomnia if during Mm -hmm. the week it's hard to fall asleep Mm-hmm. or you're waking up throughout the night multiple times, or anything's really disrupted, the first step is to work on getting to a daily seven days a week wake time, mm-hmm. consistent wake time. And that's mm-hmm. really hard. If you have to set your alarm and you're so exhausted and you maybe fell asleep three hours before that, when you're adjusting to that, yeah, you can be really tired and you have to yes. be careful. But that's one of the most singular, most important ways to get sleep on track is to keep that universal wake time. 
Mm-hmm. Now, for someone who's changing shifts when it comes to sleep, that's just very hard. And sometimes we do use different, you know, specific treatments in those areas or use melatonin in the right at the right time or bright mm-hmm. light even. Mm-hmm. But in general, trying to keep us the same wake time in the morning, we want to train our brains, not only that this is when I go to sleep, but this is when I wake up, I'm going to mm-hmm. get out and get some light. It just helps us and train that into the brain so that that is our habit. Our brain loves that routine, loves yeah. that consistency. <laughs> How do we make it work for us? Mm-hmm. And that's where working on and people with insomnia, I only want them in bed when they're feeling tired. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to do anything in bed but sleep and sex. That's it. Mm-hmm. I don't want them reading even or watching TV or anything else. That's just a place for lovely, wonderful sleep. And if they're awake too long in bed, we help them get out to go to a quiet space if they can. If they're in a small area and can't leave the bed, well, then we find other ways around that. Mm-hmm. All of this is just training our brain that, hey, brain, this is when we sleep, like you do with kids, right? It's bedtime. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's still, but come on, guys. You know, <laughs> so that's something important to know about insomnia. I love it. So we've had... Um some comments here and um Rafi is you know mentioning she says for her insomnia it's her anxiety and menopause i stick to my sleep hygiene program as much as possible which in the sleep hygiene is what we we're just mentioning you know trying to follow a certain pattern so the brain recognizes that this is sleep so let's talk about menopause are you noticing that also that's you know something that i'm glad that you uh, mentioned that for us Rafi because that's something that I didn't even think about today as one of the causes, which we do know, but mm-hmm. I didn't think about it. So what are some of the things that you're seeing in um, your ladies who are in menopause, you know, causes for insomnia and ways that they can try to get uh, it as best under control as possible? Absolutely. So I think if someone is in that sort of perimenopausal age, mm-hmm. that certainly can be a time where so many different things change, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the symptoms that they can have as part of that you know, hot flashes or night sweats, or even mood and anxiety changes, Mm -hmm. those can really interrupt sleep. We know that anxiety is hard on sleep, as we mentioned. Depression certainly can interfere with our sleep. Mm -hmm. There may be changes or transition in tapping in her life. It's Mm -hmm. no coincidence that might be a time when children are leaving home or where there's a transition or relationships are shifting, right? Mm -hmm. Women are going through other changes with their body. Mm -hmm. So it's investigating, is there concurrent anxiety or depression that might be treated with some of the medications we know can also help, hot flashes, Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. like that. Looking at, you know, hormone therapy, and there was recently the uh, North American Menopause Society just released a statement on hormone therapy and really trying to overcome some of the fear around prescribing it for women at the right age Mm -hmm. and with the right, you know, potential risk factors that can Mm -hmm. be helpful for all of these symptoms. So Mm -hmm. absolutely. And sleep hygiene, I'm glad she brought that up, is important. It sets the stage. Things like you know, not eating right before bed, not drinking alcohol right before bed, cool, quiet bedroom. Certainly when you're, you know, perimenopausal and early menopause, having a nice cool bedroom, mm-hmm. having some air movement, even getting some pajamas that breathe a bit, again, mm-hmm. to manage those hot flashes. But, you know, that's some of the things that that really can be helpful in that in that time frame. Wonderful. I love that you mentioned about the hormones. I think one of my wonderful colleagues, Dr. Rachel Rubin, she's a big proponent on that. She's over there on Twitter and she's letting them know, listen, these are safe. 
you know, and it helps. It helps women who are dealing with so many different transition points in their lives. And yes, it's out there. It's safe. And then I have my wonderful colleague here, Dr. Noha Pollock, who is, she's in New Jersey, a wonderful pediatrician there in North Jersey that she talks about with the same thing, insomnia, because I know about the good point in keeping our um, self on track. And just like our pediatric patients, <laughs> they love the schedules. And so does our body, our brain, that perpetual two-year-old who's there mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to keep us in check. So now, you know, we have gone through some wonderful, wonderful information about anxiety and also about insomnia. And I love also that we have determined and really highlighted the difference between sleep deprivation, which a lot of us think when we think of insomnia, they're like, oh, yes, you know, I'm, I can only do four hours of sleep and that's just it for me. And it's just like, well, you're in a state of sleep deprivation versus insomnia. I love the fact that we were able to do the distinction and gave some wonderful tips, such as, you know, if you're in insomnia, there are a couple of things that can highlight that, such as your anxiety or for us women, we're doing that hormonal changes, right? That happens. And yes, that will affect us there in our sleep pattern, staying up. Why, if you're hot or you're sweaty and you're anxious, your kids just left. <laughs> you know, there's just so many things that's going on in your life during that transition point. And I love the fact that we call it, it's really just a transition point in our lives. So if we can try to get things under control, that can help. Sleep hygiene, so wonderful, right? Put away the blue light, a.k.a. the phones, <laughs> the TV running during the night, you know, get your house, your room to a state where it is for sleeping or for sex, right? Get in the bed is just for sleeping for sex. If you're up, you said that constantly your mind is racing, get out of bed and go to a place that's quiet so that you can reduce the chatter that's mm -hmm. in the mind. And also decrease the stimulation before bedtime. So, yeah. you know, your your caffeine before bed, your alcohol before bed, your that stimulating anxiety ridden music before bed mm -hmm. <laughs> be a little bit harder to bring things back down so those are some great tips that you mentioned to help us to get into that state of sleep so we can get into the state of rest Alrighty, so now we're moving on to one of my wonderful and i love this topic so I'm going to ask you, so, you know, what are you doing for self-care? They're just, I mean, sleep is part of my self-care because you mentioned mm -hmm. I'm a shift worker. So, yeah. you know, it's very challenging switching back and forth. But what are some of the things that you, Dr. Reed, what are you doing for self-care? Yeah, no, absolutely highlighting sleep. I mean, the more I learn about it, the more my whole family just laughs because I'm always talking about it. My sons Whoa. are like, we know, mom, if we're sick, that's the best thing to do, you know, <laughs> but it's so, so true. So keeping mm -hmm. a, a consistent sleep schedule, mm -hmm. I think as, as we age, especially as women age, that can be a little bit more difficult to tolerate alcohol. So trying mm -hmm. to really keep it in moderation if we're using it, so important. Mm -hmm. I do like to exercise to mm -hmm. some degree. I'm not a huge like marathon runner mm -hmm. and I had back surgery a couple years ago, so I can't jog as much anymore. I've just right. accommodated and tried to find other things that really help my body feel the best it can. So mm -hmm. yoga, riding a stationary bike, going for a bike ride, mm -hmm. just trying to stay active is certainly helpful. Mm -hmm. Again, trying to be mindful, but it's very hard. My brain is always a chattering. So that yes. is something I just, it's a practice. It's working mm -hmm. on, you know, as you go. And I'm a big reader. So just reading and entering people's lives and fiction mm -hmm. and kind of just escaping. There's some mm -hmm. escapism there that I love. 
-hmm. and I love to sing. So whenever I get a chance to, Ooh, to me sing, too. I just can't do it well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, those are some of the ways I think, you know, I've been doing a lot of writing and I think that can actually, I have patients do that because it's, it's coming from a different part of the brain than language. I mean, it really is accessing some other ways of understanding yourself and the world. And I find that really a release to sort of put it on paper and say, oh, that's what I think, or that's what I'm feeling. Right. So, you know, but it's, it's constant. And I know that here are situations where anxiety can creep up for me. Mm -hmm. How do I manage that? Right. How do I work on those triggers? Because that can really be helpful. So it's, it's an everyday process and you mm -hmm. start to feel a little overstretched and you try to pull back a bit and balance it. It's not easy. You know, right. it is an everyday practice. And that's one thing that I'm so glad that you hear it here from our psychiatrist who practices self-care and says it's an everyday practice. You're, it's not a perfection. It's not one of the things that add to your list so that you can start putting yourself down because you weren't able to accomplish it the way you wanted to. Yeah. It's a practice and uh, mindfulness is there to help to, to calm you, to make you feel your best, to, to enhance the you that, that you might have forgotten about to find ways to bring that back out. That's your self-care process. So, you know, you heard it here. Now, if our psychiatrist told you that she's practicing it herself and yeah. she's working on it, then you working on it, you should be fine. Cause we all are like, you know, just like I'm working on trying to learn how to sing properly. But <laughs> alrighty, so now I'm having one of my fun, fun question of the day before we head on out of this wonderful conversation. Okay, so if you weren't a doctor, Dr. Reed, what would you be? My goodness. I mean, could I be? I don't know. But what I'd want to be would yes. be, you know, a performer on Broadway. I mean, not during the COVID lockdown. They've been through <laughs> much. That would be my type of performance. Yeah. <laughs> But just to be to be part of an ensemble, to be part of a cast, you know, mm -hmm. oddly enough, in medical school, we had a theater program. And so it was such a wonderful way to balance out all of the mm -hmm. memorization and, and sort of thinking and cognitive load of medical school yes. to do Shakespeare, to sing, you know, a song on stage, or we did the vagina monologues, which was was a, a fun, fun time. <laughs> and performing in front of my future in-laws was an interesting moment. <laughs> um, but, you know, that that's really what I would would love to do, mm -hmm. just the, the performance. And I think that's what, one of the reasons the podcast for me on my end mm -hmm. is so fun is that mm -hmm. I get to talk, I get to be out there and really interact with people that are doing such interesting stuff. And it gives me a chance to to share my voice. If I'm not singing, at least I can, can speak. I love it. You're actually my first theater performer. We've had a lot of dancers. <laughs> yeah, you're my you're my first theater performer. I love it. So I'm going to add that. So we've had um, chefs. We've had people who have um, you know opened up bakeries. But of course, these are all our imagination. For those of you listening, this is our imagination going wild. So if we weren't yeah. doctors, these are some of the things that we'll do. So you know, we now have Dr. Reed. Should be Dr. Reed on stage, Broadway. You know, lights. <laughs> in theater. <laughs> so we have some people who will be backup dancers for her on the, <laughs> on the stage. And then because we have a lot of pastry chefs, we have some people who, would, you know, in the concession stands would have some beautiful pastries. We have those who are gardeners and we've had some florists. 
So I think we're all good. We're going to put together this wonderful ensemble one day. <laughs> I would be honored to be part of that. Oh, that's wonderful. All righty. So Dr. Reed, there are many people who are listening to this wonderful, wonderful conversation that we had and they love it, love it. And they want to get in contact with you. So let them know where can they find you? Where can they find your work so that they could get more into Dr. Reed? <laughs> well, thank you. No, that would be, it would be an honor. I mean, I, do a lot of writing and the reflective doc was mm -hmm. my way of describing how I'm trying to reflect out to everybody what I'm saying to patients each day, what I'm hearing from them, what I'm experiencing as a busy working mom. So mm -hmm. the reflective doc.com, my podcast is a reflective doc and that's mm -hmm. where you'll find some writing and, you know, would love to hear people's thoughts or questions they might have so that we can try and help as many as possible. Absolutely. So like you heard here, so Dr. Jennifer Reed is the reflective doc. So you can find her at the reflective doc podcast. So for those of you go on there, you can find her on a podcast and also on her blog, the reflective doc, which is on, is it the reflective doc.com? Uh -huh. So yes. I have it up here. Yep, thereflectivedoc.com. So you'll be able to find her wonderful blog and all the thoughts. And, and there's some great info there too. So we even talk about anxiety. And like we said, this is not, we're talking outward. You know, this is a reflective doc. So she's talking about herself also. So even when we yeah. talk about anxiety, we talked about our own issues and, you know, some things that's running through her mind. So, and this is a wonderful blog out there. So please, you guys go out there and look find the reflective doc, read these wonderful blog, leave some comments on her wonderful, wonderful page. Now, like I said, I really thoroughly, I knew you were going to enjoy this conversation because I absolutely did. You know, the only thing I forgot to ask about was mom guilt, but that's okay because we can have Dr. Reed back another time. And we could delve all into the mom guilt, but for what we are gone today, we've gone over anxiety, we've gone over insomnia, so many great info. So if you're just tuning in, hey, you have a wonderful Wonderful, great information that you can check out. Now, like I said, for those of you guys who want to be able to see this great info, you can go to ourcarendocs.com, select podcast, look at Dr. Reed's beautiful picture, and then just click on listen here and you'll be able to get all this great information from the podcast. If you are a doctor and you would like to be on the show, just send an email to Dr. Beckford at yourcaringdocs.com to book. Do keep in mind our show has been booked out three months in advance since November of 2021. Yes, because there's just so many wonderful doctors out there and we've been able to provide such great info from our docs about all the awesome things they're doing inside and outside of clinical medicine. So if you have something and you're a doctor that you'd love to highlight, time it. Yes, time it. If you're having a grand opening and you want everyone to know about your wonderful practice, if you have a book that you're dropping, if you have a masterclass, if you have a course that you want to be able to share with others, just time it and book so that we can be able to highlight you in a timely fashion for your wonderful course, book, or grand opening, right? Like we said, three months in advance is when we're usually booked out. So just jump on, send an email, and you'll be able to click on the calendar and we'll be able to get you on this wonderful show. Like I said, I'm Dr. Tamara Beckford with our Dr. Tamara Beckford show. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for listening and for watching. And we will see you guys next time. Alrighty, Dr. Reed, do you have any last minute things that you want to tell our people before we head on out? You know, my, my favorite line is really your mind should be on your side. And I think that's really important because we have to be our own advocates now more than ever. So mm -hmm. that's how I would leave it today. 
Oh, love it. You heard her. Your mind should be on your side. Love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Reed. All right, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.